data is of imperative importance when it comes to inclusion uh, and equity. It's just, it's a lot, it's a bit more of a complex and uh, involved process to get to the outcomes that we need. Hi, I'm Darren Woolley, founder and CEO of Trinity P3 Marketing Management Consultancy. And welcome to Managing Marketing, a weekly podcast where we discuss the issues and opportunities facing marketing, media and advertising with industry thought leaders and practitioners. Today, I'm sitting down with Darshi Harindra, who is a lawyer, the co-founder of Roshi Global, which provides strategic advisory services for startups. She's also the organising committee member for Women for Impact, here to break down barriers to funding for women and non-binary people of colour in Australia, a legal advisor to the Museum of the Future in Dubai, and an advisory board member to the data management platform for financial institutions, FENCOR. Welcome, Darshi. Thank you, Darren. Thanks for having me. It's so great to be here. I have to ask, do you have any spare time? Uh, I'd say that I do live a pretty 24-7 lifestyle um, and I may be a little bit addicted to productivity hacks and uh, all the all of that kind of reading. So yes, my life does revolve a little bit around calendar blocking. Well, also because so much of this is in different time zones around the world. You really are a person of the world. Yes, uh, I I am part of, I think, what was or may still be the great resignation through uh, COVID. And we moved ourselves uh, to Canberra. We have been working remotely and just been enjoying having space and being able to dictate where and when we work. And Whilst the borders were closed over that those last couple of years and before we could actually get on a plane, uh, I had a, an, originally wanted to move overseas myself. And so when that wasn't possible, I just made it very clear to anyone that I wanted to work with or that I was looking for work to get me that international exposure, especially because I was doing a lot in that technology space and there's just a lot going on around the world that um, I really wanted to be part of. And I don't think it should matter where you are anymore. Now, the question around diversity, equity and inclusion, DE&I as they shorten everything to a three-letter acronym, is really an issue that's been around for as, as long as you know, human beings have worked together. But really, you, you mentioned the pandemic. We had some you know, real key issues arise, you know, George Floyd in the US and, and Black Lives Matter, which put it into the mainstream media and really raised the issue of what are companies doing and what are corporations doing about increasing the opportunities for diversity, equity and inclusion within their organisations didn't we? Yeah, we did. Um, and that that period and this momentum that had been has been growing since um, instances like the George Floyd scenario, which I think particularly brought about 
a push in momentum because it came at a time when we were also all in lockdown um, and really engaging with something that has actually be, been occurring for several years uh, in the history of the of the US uh, as well. And it brought it meant a lot to me at the time because it really actually brought home that I've been working in this space or being actively involved in this space through whatever I, role I was working in at the time, um, but hadn't really given it that airtime even within my own sort of friendship circles and with that within my communities where suddenly these these issues were starting to be to be talked about. And what we have seen on, on one hand in a really positive way is organizations verbally at least, uh, or in their uh, recruitment materials, in their marketing materials, share that it is a real priority. We're seeing this real growth in diversity and inclusion professionals being engaged either as consultants or actually within organizations. My own fears and concerns, however, around this area are really in trying to get to the nut of how much is virtual virtue signaling and knowing that it's it's the right thing to do and that and you know saying in a post or a LinkedIn post that you know we stand with x y or z but are they really living and breathing it in their day-to-day organizational growth and it's a good point because you know we see International Women's Day and international you know these days that occur you know the the LGBTQ sorry I always get confused with the plus anyway um, but the danger is it does become just symbolism rather than a commitment three hundred and sixty five days when there's so much focus on one day I mean I think there's uh, even a purple day which is also for, uh, you know, um, gender, oh, not gender, uh, sexual yeah. orientation. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Uh, I think, uh, and I think for people that work in this space, there's generally a big call out to say, please, no more cupcakes, no more just mentoring, no more saying, saying, saying stuff. How do we actually show action in this area and how do we how do we deploy something that is going to create real equity and inclusion so my, my view is that we, we we hover a lot around the diversity because it's easy to put into tick box exercises it's easy to add a few questions onto the end of a cultural engagement survey uh, it's it's something it's easy to be able you need something to quantify our success so it's easy to be able to put out in your annual statements that you have uh, x percent of a category of person x percent of women x percent of people of color in leadership positions or whatever it is um, and that is supposed to be a job done but the journey of diversity, equity, inclusion really needs to move into that equity and inclusion space in the first instance, because our communities and people, we share more in common than we are different, but we all come to the table with very different lived experiences, socioeconomic backgrounds, educational backgrounds, uh, and 
it's not just about the sort of the categories and me as a lawyer, you know, there are there are certain categories of protected people. Uh, you can't, there are certain uh, discrimination laws that protect certain categories of people. But just ticking those boxes, does that mean that you actually have an inclusive work environment? Does that mean that, uh, that you actually have true equality in your organization? Uh, does that mean that you can just take a annual unconscious bias training and think that you've solved all the problems in your organization at a time. So it's, it's an area that I've just, I really have this sort of love-hate relationship in and of itself. And I mean, Darren, you're in advertising. I feel like DE&I needs a bit of a an overhaul and a makeover because everyone knows it's the quote-unquote right thing to do. There's also a lot of data that will be thrown around as to how it will also uh, better a organization's bottom lines. We know all these things, and yet we that the we live in a society that is just so set. Yeah, ab- look, you're absolutely right. Trinity P three. I think that what she did in that uh, explanation there, or that that point of view, is highlight the the default mechanism. Yeah. What's the easiest thing to do? And what we've seen, especially in marketing and advertising, is industry bodies rush to the marketplace and and carry out a census. Now, the trouble is a census will largely tell you diversity, you know, because you'll ask people to self-identify on a range of issues. And even then, it's interesting how many of those uh, census or surveys only pick, you know, a handful of categories that they pick for diversity. You know, it's usually race, gender, um, uh, rarely sexual orientation, uh, rarely education, occasionally age. You know, it's like they almost misinterpret, first of all, how complex diversity is because there are so many things that create us as diverse and individual human beings. And then when they get they they drop equity completely because it's too hard. But then inclusion, it's do you feel comfortable at work? Do you feel treated well? You know, it's like quite superficial in what inclusion actually means because inclusion's not just making someone feel comfortable. It's actually creating the opportunities for them to actually be rewarded and acknowledged. And, and to progress within the organisation and take on the responsibilities that they should be allowed to have because they bring a perspective and, and a capability to that role that's unique to them, isn't it? Yes, um, and I think you're, you're touching on an aspect of diversity that uh, I'm particularly interested in as well, and that's that idea of cognitive diversity that goes that we all have... Um, that you know, I sort of alluded to it to it earlier. Um, and there's a fabulous um, book uh, by Matthew Syed on this called Rebel Ideas. If you haven't read it, I, I recommend it to everyone. But really, to show that the impact of of having of us sort of sitting in our own echo chambers of people who come from who may 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 look different but may not all think differently and the the, the negative implications of that in and of itself. Um, when it comes to the idea of the census, now this is something as well that uh, I've spent a lot of time digging into, and I've actually, as, my, as part of my practice now, 
leverage I leverage my diversity and inclusion expertise with all of my experience as a legal practitioner to start working with organizations on diversity and inclusion surveys or censuses as you as you may call them and there's there's a there's a couple of things here so firstly you know organizations are data driven in almost all aspects of their decision making and yet when it comes to DEI uh there's i said there might be a couple of extra tick box questions on a on a cultural engagement survey but to your point you can't capture the culture of an organization and how inclusive an organization is from tick box questions so the first question is what do we mean by a diversity census in that regard because i do think that understanding the data and the makeup of your organization is key to being able to implement or create any kind of diversity and inclusion and equity strategy in the first instance because i think to date it's largely just sort of being made up as we go along and being kind of we just got to say what we think is the right thing to say and do what the right thing is to do but have we actually looked at what our organize our own organization is and can we do something meaningful to make our current and existing workforce feel included and then we start to get in the more complex idea of going oh well geez that just means that we might need to have more qualitative data comprising this survey maybe we need to actually have some focus groups maybe we need to listen to the organization and then compile and anal- analyze that information and then we go oh geez that means that i have to know what questions to ask i have to ask it ask those questions in the right way and not cause a more of a pr nightmare saying we're going to do we want to collect this information that means i have to have an idea that i'm actually going to do something with that information because i'm calling on my workforce to give away really personal and shared lived experiences with me and of course you know and this is this is always i think a hidden fear but what they end up defaulting to is they do the survey and then you get oh well compared to the industry we're 5% better for um diversity and we're 15% better for inclusion and it does my head in what does that even mean i mean i think this the idea of benchmarking uh dni or or dni is largely ridiculous because the only benchmark you should be trying to improve on is where your organization is today and trying to be better tomorrow trinity p3 you mentioned about improving the bottom line but it is a well documented fact that organizations dr- that are driven by creativity and innovation actually benefit from diverse uh cognitive thinking that the more uh difference in thinking that you bring into the room the more likely you are to actually come up with something new because the patterns of thinking get disrupted and broken by people bringing their their uh lived experiences and their ways of thinking and their uh perspectives on problems and life into that conversation Yeah, when I down when I'm talking to clients in this in that DEI survey space and they start asking me about benchmarking I I really have to draw breath because 
why why is this an area that we should be competing with the rest of the market for you in the first instance you need to be competing with yourself you need to say well my idea of a benchmark is that i'm showing that day to day i'm living and breathing the values of an inclusive organization that's your benchmark that's when you're getting when you're getting really positive feedback when you're retaining staff when you are able to hire the best staff that is the feedback that you need not oh we're 5% better than them <laughs> whoever but, them but the, is you're is saying them. this all the time especially from industry bodies or or you know collective groups you know that they're competing between uh, professions you know oh we're better than the uh, the finance industry or we you know and it's like Okay, so they have a bigger job to do, but that doesn't mean you don't have a job to do. And I think going back to your point as well, you know, to really do this properly requires a huge level of trust and an amazing level of integrity to actually deliver on it. Because when you're asking people to express themselves as individuals, and that's the way I see this, is that the... The, fr- the proper framework of diversity and inclusion is about who am I as an individual and to be acknowledged for that, isn't it? Yes, I think that I think that's right. It's it, it does. It involves a huge amount of trust and it ha- involves a deep level of engagement. I think that that necessarily means that this becomes a business and a leadership imperative rather than where we're seeing DEI sit in the most cases is it becomes an HR sort of imperative. Um, And that in and of itself, actually, in my view, leads to certain trust issues amongst a workforce, because you really need to see it come from the C-suites down and you need to see it being breathed and lived as as a business uh, imperative in the first instance. And I think it, it just, no, everyone, there is no, no single organisation of whatever size, of whatever makeup that has this down pat. And, and the, very, the very nature of diversity, equity and inclusion is that it is an ongoing journey and it will always be moving and it will always be something that has to evolve with the times that we're in. So, or each and every organisation just needs to get real with themselves and where they're at at this point in time. Uh, and, and that just means that we have to, to lean into the fact that you might not always have the, the pretty sort of graphs that you can show in a, in a presentation. Uh, it, it just actually showing a sense of vulnerability of, of saying, we are really committed to this. We know we all have work to do in this area, but we also know that we're on a journey to really be great at this. I think just showing that real commitment is a big step. Is a big step forward. Uh, but but it's a, it's an interesting point. This whole idea of data and diversity for me, because as as a, as a data specialist, and I talk about data from all different angles, and and as, as a new as a early adopter and it comes to technology I'm always interested in in AI and bias in AI and and how we use it but um 
when it comes to more subjective things, sometimes people batten down the hatches a little bit and say, no, we can't, we, we don't need data here because that's just tick box, or we don't need data here because it's a little bit too difficult. We just got to go by an experience and by a feel and by whatever the rest of the market is doing. But actually, data is of imperative importance when it comes to inclusion uh, and equity. It's just, it's a lot, it's a bit more of a complex and uh, involved process to get to the outcomes that we need. Trinity P3. A lot of agencies, especially mm-hmm. out of North America, are very keen because we help clients select agencies. So the right. agencies are very clean, keen to tell us how, you know, here's the graph that shows our level of diversity and, and there'll be a number of criteria that they've cut that on. One of the questions that we always ask is, well, what's your best piece of work that you've done? And they'll usually show a video or a film, a TV ad of some sort. And it's amazing because everyone cast is white Anglo-Saxon in their 20s and 30s uh, living the stereotype life. And I'm sort of, I think diversity and, and inclusion will work when you start to see the products of the agency, the advertising, actually reflect the diversity that they report having within the agency. So in some ways I'm using, let's say, unstructured data to judge the agency rather than structured data. But but back to your point around what should people be thinking about if they really want to get a handle of diversity and inclusion within their organisations? I think... It's interesting take. I think it's a really interesting analysis or case study to use like advertising, the advertising industry, because as you say, we're meant to be to, to use such a stereotypical uh, scenario that that even, you know, now that we're not not long after the, the, the most recent um, Australian census, which is constantly telling us that there is barely no average Australian um, that, that can fit into fit into a picture, um, and and yet we're supposed to use that material to sell products to the biggest and broadest possible spectrum of of consumers. I actually do think that storytelling and individuals and small communities stories play quite a role in starting to understand the context for which, around which we are collecting that sort of data. Because where we need to marry that quantitative, as I mentioned earlier, is that qualitative sense and the, the qualitative uh, the conclusions that we draw from talking to people, listening and engaging with a community to get an understanding of what their lived experiences are and what are the challenges that people are facing on a day-to-day basis. And once we start to to, to pool and understand both the differences and the commonalities behind those experiences, you're able to build a, a picture of the state of play that you have and then you're able to have a basis from which you can start to develop, whether it's your products, whether it's a strategy, whether it's hiring. Um, and what is really important to note when it comes to DEI is that it will leak out into 
all aspects of an organization because we often think of corporate organizations and DEI will lead into that, as I said, that HR space and hiring and recruiting and retaining talent. But that actually will then necessarily lead into the pools of people that are coming up with these adverts and the marketing. It it affects your product development. It affects that accessibility. It affects every single aspect of your organization. Uh, And so you can't you can't sort of pigeonhole each of those things and therefore it means that as I said the data actually needs to be very very broad and then work into those stories to start to connect to can I connect the dots into which directions you might need to take in any one particular area trinity p3 what we're really talking about here is significant cultural change within organisations. And we know that culture changes two ways. It can change from the top down, by example. It can also change from the bottom up, which is the way people work together. You know, it's amazing how when people work together in a really collaborative way, it has that ability to actually rise up through through the organisation. The fastest way is always top down. And and we see that you know, in agencies especially, because many of them, even though we've got, you know, publicly listed global companies, the agency office is a unit in its own right. And that could be anywhere from 20 people to 500 people or more. And when you change the management team, you will significantly change the culture of the organisation. If you've got an agency that's incredibly monoculture, then for that to actually embrace, and, and I'm not using the term in the way it usually, but to, to embrace multi-culture mm-hmm. or diverse culture is a significant cultural change, but not an insurmountable one, isn't it? Yeah, I agree. I wonder, Darren, have you found in the agency scenario clients come to you or potential clients come to you with certain requirements from a DE&I perspective that say, right, we want any of our agencies to have to tick all these diversity boxes. Because that's also the other other thing that you kind of say, well, uh, to your point of moving things from the top down, I think in, in industry ecosystems, you need organisations, you know, and clients to start pushing agencies, for example, or pushing and moving that ecosystem that way as well? So I, I can be honest and say in North America and Europe, yes, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. not as to date, and, and you know, let's draw a line in that sand, to date, not in Australia or in Asia. And it's really interesting because for, you know, it, it's certainly top of mind. And, and interestingly, even in Europe and North America, it is more procurement that are raising it mm, than it is the marketers. So that's an interesting uh, observation as well, that procurement, but then procurement's responsible for ensuring the uh, sustainable and ethical uh, yeah. sourcing. And so they're also interested in things like the modern slate, you know, compliance with the Modern Slavery Act, zero net emissions and that type of thing. So... You know, often talking about diversity and inclusion in the same breath that they're talking about the other UN um, sustainable so, goals. Yeah, 
Yeah, noted. Uh, and that's it's another interesting one of just trying to I think that the work that we have to do in that DE and I space is is moving into that true inclusion piece that goes beyond right have we have we got our modern slavery statement up on our website have we it's it's a really tricky one and I it's something that as a as someone with a legal background as well I I struggle with because I don't believe that laws are always the right the right solution for this sort of thing because you can legislate to an extent but then all you have is is organizations uh complying for compliance's sake without really getting down to the, the the underlying values that have driven the 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 legislation in the first place and how do you get people to really think about those that the, that underlying value system but Dashi, this is why I don't understand that the industry and society is not focusing on the benefits of diversity and inclusion. You know, that you, you mentioned before, it improves the bottom line, but ultimately innovation and moving society forward can only happen when we are much more inclusive, when we are actually... Yeah, collaborating with ideas and sharing ideas, and yet it seems to be almost forgotten, which the default is then the tick box. You know, oh, look, I'm complying. I'm doing what's expected of me. Aren't I good? Pat me on the head. And look, I, you know, I will confess, I, I go to diversity and inclusion meetings and they always refer to the older white Western male and I look around like, oh, are they talking about me? Because that's, I have to identify that way. You know, that's who I am. That doesn't necessarily mean that I'm anti-diversity or anti-inclusion or anti-equity. But it's, it, these labels become pigeonholes for, you know, a shortcut to everything that's wrong in society is because of people like me. Yes. So la- labels are another one that, that I could talk for days on and we've all had uh, well I certainly had my own battles with with being pigeon boxed into into labels and yet and and it goes back to our same on our need for simplicity over complexity and our need to be able to just say you tick those boxes therefore you are this um, and the reality is, Darren, we need more people like you that look like you and that identify uh, as quote unquote, the man, i.e. The, the, the people in power that get to, to change the dial on these things to start to, 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 you know, to really, we need more allies, basically, because the reality is that, that the power structures are still the old white heterosexual man yeah, that as well I'm, I'm that as well uh, that as well you take all that you take all the boxes trinity p3 like i i am i am so privileged that and and so you know in many ways i think anyone in in that position has to be willing to make the door wider for everyone else coming through you know when when you're my age it's like well i know that this is the end, you know, I'm heading towards the sunset. So the least I can do, my mother used to say, always leave the place better than you found it. So if that. That, yeah. if that means making the world more open 
And especially because, you know, to me, diversity and inclusion is all about making a smarter, you know, more creative, more innovative world. Isn't that what business needs? It, it is certainly what it needs. And, 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 and again, we're in our little echo chamber here. You're preaching to the converted. I couldn't, I couldn't agree more. But my, my concerns are that, one, we are, we are not living in an equitable society. No. And, but the problem is, is that the people that have the power to change that are not really incentivized to do so because things are working just fine for them. And so we need more people to have that community-driven approach. And we and I'm still struggling on how to communicate something that to you and I just seems so straightforwardly right in all manners. I really have to work on how you communicate that to people that think, well, things are just fine, or that uh something another area that is very controversial and that even myself I've I've changed my mind several times on this but but positive discrimination in order to rebalance the inequity in the first instance so that we can then have a slightly more level playing field to play from and that is a very very threatening prospect to people that are already at the top and don't need things to change because they say well we we can make things. We we agree that we agree that everything needs to improve and it needs to improve in say a certain linear way. But that shouldn't ever mean that those who already have the privilege and that are enjoying those privileges should have to come down to a particular minority level. It means that everyone needs to to grow in the similar in in the same trajectory. But how do you close the gap mm. between the two? may require positive discrimination and that is not an easy sell well the the bottom line is that whatever we do we need to be focusing on the positive outcomes for everyone so the idea of growing the pie Mm -hmm. you you grow the pie there's more pie the trouble is that we live in a society where you grow the pie and the people at the top just get to eat more pie yeah, and so yeah, uh, Will Will Store his book uh, two years ago, the status game, mm-hmm. really sums this up beautifully. You know, the, the status hierarchy says that the people in power don't want anything to change. The trouble is that everyone that relies on that status hierarchy will do whatever it takes to keep it in place. Now, what we need to do is to stop saying, "Well, this is a good thing to do," because people will do good things because it then gives them virtue status, you know, but it's not actually a long-term solution. We need to start talking about the business implications and we need to find ways. So to your point about, um, you know, positive positive change or, or, you know, actually having uh, things, I'm assuming you're talking about things like uh, setting quotas and, and that type of thing. No? Yeah, for example, yeah. yeah. Right. So so the thing about that is, you know, that's only to overcome what's seen as the economic imperative of the capitalist system to still put certain people in the top jobs and other people in the menial tasks, the, under, the lower paying tasks. That's the bit that has to be addressed and often that has to be changed by positive reinforcement. 
just to get people over the hump in the first place. And yes, you're right, it's controversial because we all like to think that we live in a world that's a meritocracy, but that's rubbish. I mean, anyone that believes that they live in a meritocracy is someone that's benefited from the lack of meritocracy. Uh, yeah, I couldn't, couldn't agree more. <laughs> and, and really it is, you know, also that capitalism in and of itself just structurally requires that uh, a hierarchy that will favour the, the the privileged is going to work in. But I feel like well, we're, 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 we could be, we're, we're treading on a whole off, lot of landmines yeah, now. We've gone way off track here because, you know, it's marketing and advertising and marketing and advertising only exists in the capitalist system. Not that there's, I, I mean, it's not perfect. But it's the only system so far that uh, human beings have managed to come up with that works enough of the time to make it sustainable. You know, the alternative is is communism. That's the only one that's been yeah. tried, and that didn't work. And and so you know, let's let's stick with our uh, yeah it's, flawed it's the world. capitalist system, but we can use it to actually bring about change, can't we? Correct. And and I think and I uh, and I do think. And perhaps this is something that you know, North American market is is an interesting one. And I'm 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 also at my core sort of all for free and open markets. Uh, and and that whilst there's there's always an element of that there can be an attraction to that idea of the the American dream and that everything is open open to you. I think that the the realities of uh, the, the infrastructure in North America also show the um, the great inequalities that can arise. But I, I still ultimately will come down to emphasising the commercial benefits of that, uh, of diversity in particular, and and having um, an inclusive environment. And I think, Darren, where, where you're leaning to, particularly in your industry, is that idea of that creativity and that innovation piece. And starting to just bring more naysayers into a community as well um, and not looking at them as a naysayer, but just looking at them as being able to help expand that whiteboard of ideas and start to, to just get some, get more juices flowing and drive people, whether for positive or negative in a particular environment, in a particular situation. You, you roll it out, you try it out and then see what the results say. And I think oftentimes if you have, whereas you might have that initial reaction to suddenly a, you know, a, a more diverse looking family in an advert, that the initial reaction from the majority is like, oh, cringe, that's not really what we usually see. It's not what we push out. I guarantee if there's someone up there that is going to take the punt and start pushing it out, the, then the data will start to reveal the real benefits both commercially and in terms of commercially from both, uh, as I said, again, that organization, but your uh, consumer market increasing your, and then from that, you can start to develop as I said, products in, the, in, in ways that can reach parts of your consumer base that you didn't know you had. Um, and also where, um, I think that your industry needs to, to look at inclusion from that data perspective is that we so often say, right, these are all the people that bought your product. And, and, and Darren, I'm not uh, an expert, so please don't 
please take everything I say about my, my assumptions about how, how the advertising and marketing worlds work um, with a grain of salt. But 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 uh, development tends to happen based on the data that you have and historic data. And, and you know all about the people that are engaging with a brand or a product, etc. And then you double down on that to say, well, these are the people that we need to reach out to. And my confusion has always been in that area to say that that's always only ever going to be an often small piece of a pie uh, that has a much, much greater subset of communities that are not getting access to your product because you're not speaking to them properly in the first place and therefore they're not going to buy it. So you always need to look for the gaps in data as well in order to know what you can open up and how you can open up a market for an organization as well. Um, and that's, uh, I think that's a big part of, you know, you need to look at what your future consumer could be. You need to also marry that with the trends to show that, okay, we're not really targeting that. And that's probably because, oh, well, our previous campaigns over the past however many years have have always kind of gone for a particular demographic. How do we try and get another one? Well, we need to start understanding them, research that, and then push another way. And you should slowly be really expanding that to cover as many bases as you can, in my view. Yeah, look, I think there's uh, there's a lot of wisdom in that because uh, certainly the marketing and advertising industry has more data than it's ever had at any time in history. The question is how well they're using it to inform the decisions that are being made. And while data is certainly an important part of uh, developing strategies, you know, they're informing strategies and even media selection, It'll be interesting to see how much of that's actually now informing the creative process and the creative outcomes. And until we get that sort of representation of that cognitive diversity there in the creative process, it's probably, we're seeing, we're starting to see change. And, you know, I think that uh, we're getting to that uncomfortable stage where people see change, but it's not happening fast enough. Let's just hope there's enough people pushing it forward. Look, uh, the time has just flown by, Darshi. Um, I've really appreciated you making time and coming and joining and having a conversation on managing marketing. It's been my absolute pleasure, Darren. Well, look, uh, before you go, I do I do have a question for you, and that is you have a, a global perspective, but which is the one company that you think is doing diversity and inclusion really, really well? 